Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, it's our Super Typhoon episode. No, just kidding. Uh, we are actually going to be talking about some news about the Oscars, Oscar contenders, new horror film festival launching in Singapore, and the success of the film Searching in Korea. And for our films this week, Donnie Yen in Big Brother and the Netflix China co-production Next Gen. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here, luckily, in sunny South Florida, and coming to us from his news desk in the middle of Typhoon Mankut, no joke, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. Reporting from the middle of uh, a Signal 10 here in Hong Kong. Uh, hi, everybody. Yes, we hope you're staying dry and as safe as possible. Well, I'm sitting next to a window, but uh, so far is okay. I mean, you're going to hear lots of uh, rain coming from the outside and a bit of whistling. But luckily, um, it's still the morning here, and the, the, the storm, the, well, the direction of the wind hasn't turned. But uh, in the afternoon, I think the wind is expected to turn southeast, which is where my, my window, the direction of my window is. So um, that's going to be a bit scary. But for now, if you hear any glass breaking and running away, then you might have to cut the recording but for now we're good we're good <laughs> well we hope that won't happen i mean this time just uh, uh, like a week or so ago this time last year i was actually fleeing north <laughs> to to get away from uh, uh i can't even remember the name of the hurricane that came through last year through florida and i went up to stay with relatives in uh south carolina and now this very same weekend, they are getting um, Hurricane Florence, and they're fortunate because they're on the west side of the state, so they're not going to get much of it. They're just going to get a little bit of rain, maybe a little bit of wind, um, but the storm will be pretty much battered out by the time it gets over them. But also family and friends like you and others in Hong Kong also right now going through this super typhoon uh, Mankut. So, I mean, yeah, it's just kind of weird. I'm following two storms, families here, families there, everybody's getting rained on and just praying everybody will be safe. And, uh, if you're out there listening to this and, you know, later on and have gone through this, we hope that everything turned out okay for you as well. Um, but we're not here to talk about, uh, typhoons and the weather. We're here to talk about movies and stuff. So before we get into our news proper, just, uh, some stuff that's going on. I was lucky I got to catch up on a little bit of Hong Kong cinema since uh, nothing's been able to be released near me theatrically. I've uh, delved into some releases on home video, including uh, Agent Mr. Chan, which uh, Kevin talked about back on episode 249 earlier this year. This was a release for Chinese New Year, even though it's not kind of a traditional Chinese New Year film. Uh, it does have Chinese New Year elements kind of thrown in in places. 
Uh, but I came away kind of liking this. Kevin, you were kind of mixed on it, as I recall, um, thinking yeah. that it was, you know, okay for being a Chinese New Year release, but, you know, for a Dale Wong film, he was good in it, but other things were maybe not so good. I kind of liked it. I thought he was really good in it, um, especially kind of the accent that you mentioned before where he's kind of slurring a little bit to kind of give a sort of a Sean Connery take on things. Um, and I really <laughs> like that. I like the fact that they did not make him like Inspector Gadget. You know, they didn't just make him like a goof who kind of goofs his way through things, but he's actually a pretty skilled agent um, when all is said and done. And um, But I really found funny, like Charmaine Shea's character... You know, her singular rise through the ranks of the Hong Kong police force just to give him a hard time. Um, I, that, that, that part I thought, thought was really good. Um, and then the rest, you know, as the, the plot kind of spoils on, I was like, yeah, okay, it's kind of, you know, stretching places here. But I, I got what it was kind of trying to do and still try to stay in that Chinese New Year mode. Um, but it was a lot more entertaining. I, I guess I went in with low expectations and came out slightly surprised. Um, but yeah, I kind of wish Dale would do more stuff because I tend to find it. My wife doesn't like him at all, but I tend to find him pretty funny and stuff. So, um, yeah, well, I want to bring up something that, that again, I think I mentioned this on Twitter before and, you know, um, there's a comedian in the U S uh, from Hong Kong named Jimmy O Yang. We all know from Silicon Valley and he likes to, uh, and I'm just going to reiterate what I said on Twitter before. Um, he, he likes to talk about how, um, there's no stand-up comedy where he's from, which is Hong Kong, and how his immigrant parents are totally unfunny people, which is like such a stereotype, right? But the thing is, look, Dale Wong's had a very successful 20-year-plus stand-up comedy career in Hong Kong. He created stand-up comedy in Hong Kong. If it wasn't for him, like, his success led to people like um, uh, Jeezy Gooby, or, or I don't forgot what a real name go, goes by now. Um Vincy Chirk, I think. Anyway, yeah. she does a, a, a comedy show every year now to sell uh, to uh, packed audiences. Michael Huey did a, a comedy show. Even freaking Chapman Toe did a stand-up comedy show. So yeah. to to characterize that somehow stand-up comedy is an American, exclusively American thing, is such a terrible representation of the comedy that is available in Hong Kong. That you know, Hong Kongers are you know Stephen Chow. We created we have Stephen Chow. Uh, it's not stand up comedy, but we still have very funny movies. We're funny people, and we certainly have uh, stand up comedy. Stand up comedy is certainly a thing in Hong Kong. Um, it may not be the same as the as the ones that you see in America, but we certainly have that here in Hong Kong. And Dale Wong, um, his funny his movies may not be the best. Uh, to to some people, um, and I don't blame them for that. Um, but his his comedy shows are super funny, and if they were ever subtitled, which is probably never going to happen, you will find that yes, stand up comedy exists in Hong Kong. And if you want to go and sell yourself as someone who oh I discovered stand up comedy in the U.S., then it just means you weren't paying attention. Yeah, I mean, I it, and there are variations too that may not be like the sort of traditional. Uh, George Carlin style stand-up comic but you know you've got a lot of different comedy in the states people who use props I mean I'm thinking like old school like Gallagher and stuff who used to smash watermelons and I mean Chung Tatmeng for example did a lot of sort of one-man shows where it's not just him standing up telling jokes but kind of doing skits and scenes and I remember going to a couple shows of uh, Jim Chim 
and he was renowned for doing um, these kinds of things where he plays different characters and 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 does you know kind of more SNL style stuff, but still very very funny. Um, if you could get into it and you had a little bit of grasp of the language, and you know even beyond that, I think that you know it's there's definitely an underground comedy that goes on. I mean, uh, we had Stephen on for one episode some time ago, you know, before I moved back to the States. And he's a big part of the underground, not really underground, but sort of the indie comic circuit um, that exists that that gravitates between English language comedy and Cantonese language comedy and is often, you know, shooting for bilingual humor and stuff. And um, there's another guy, Vivek Mahubani, if I'm saying his name correctly, who hosts a lot of comedy shows and stuff. And all this stuff takes place, of course, over on Hong Kong Island. And it's not as big as some of the stuff like that Dio Wong puts on. But it's there if you are willing to look for it. Even though I would say that is much more along the lines of sort of traditional U.S. stand-up, where it's a guy with a microphone or a girl with a microphone kind of just telling jokes. Um, so when we last left off on our last episode, I had mentioned that I was going to try and talk about uh, Taiwanese, Taiwanese Tale of Two Cities, which is this series that's um, being produced for Netflix. Um, and it's already running overseas, but it's still not released in the U.S. And uh, I guess it's coming at some point. And Kevin, your thoughts are that what the, you think they're doing is doing like Terrace House. They're basically going to hold hold it until all the episodes are out and then release it stateside um i i think well what they're doing for most of the world it seems like they're doing the the episodes weekly and i'm guessing that this is based on viewing habits um we're getting it weekly because what taiwan is also um so taiwan is being shown and this is something that's typical it's in, in addition to netflix and an other video platform is also being shown on three different tv or two different tv channels at different times um, so Taiwan is getting blanketed by the show. They're going to get people there who get to watch it for free or if they pay for Netflix, whatever, they all get to see it. We just apparently the way they do things over there. And it's not a, this not just totally Netflix show. It's a co-production between a local company and Netflix, as in, I guess, Netflix bought the rights to it and so on and so forth. Um, but I'm guessing this is a 20 episode series by the way so they're going to release them one one at a one one week at a time which is already rare for taiwanese show because taiwanese shows i think they do two or three episodes a week and then you know roll them out fairly quickly although not as quick as say hong kong or um something like that but yeah so it's supposed to be a 20 week thing but um in the u.s uh from what i've read big data suggests that people aren't viewers overall aren't really into shows that are released weekly that audience seems to uh binge watch more than more than tuning in every week for a show um so that's what happened with the joe McHale show that we that unfortunately has now been canceled um after the first run of the weekly episodes uh netflix told them to just release six episodes in one go because even at the weekly schedule they found that viewers were watching them binge watching them anyway so they figured that was a better better strategy and in the end of course the show still got canceled so how effective is that going to be right um so i'm guessing and you know the facebook the official facebook page which you already left a message right paul at the official (laughs) facebook page yeah they don't have any concrete answers as to why the u.s 
still hasn't gotten the show, which is ironic because the show is shot, partly shot in the U.S., uh, San Francisco to be to be specific. Uh, but they do assure viewers that, or Facebook fans, that the show will go on the U.S. Netflix eventually. But, you know, some answers would have been nice. But, you know, at least we know that, you know, it will be on the U.S. Netflix eventually. And then, Paul, you can binge watch through five or six 70-minute episodes at a time. These are very long episodes, by the way. I just finally finished the second one. It took me, like, like three days. Um, so, yeah, um, hopefully we can come up and talk about Maybe we don't have to wait till all 20 episodes are released. Maybe we can... I'm hoping that they'll release them in badge, batches, uh, just like Terrence House, instead of waiting for the whole series. So maybe um, when they do release the first batch in the U.S., Paul, we can sit down and uh, talk about it. All right, that sounds good. It's a date. Um, also on the TV circuit, uh, you know, TVB is not well beloved <laughs> by many people, uh, especially on this podcast. But occasionally, uh, <laughs> they do they do a series or two that catches my attention. And uh, recently, they started a series um, called uh, Another Era. In fact, I think it's launched officially on TVB just this past week. There's about five episodes out. Um, at the time of this recording. And so another era is, the reason it caught my eye is I, I heard through the grapevine of Friends a little bit of buzz that it's actually uh, better than average TVB series. And it stars some people that uh, film fans might recognize, like Roger Kwok, Linda Chung, Nikki Chow, um, and uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, a couple other people who make the occasional cameos in um, films and lots of other, you know, TVB regulars. And the reason that we kind of jumped on this, it's a, it's a modern-day kind of drama uh, about really rich people and coming off of Crazy Rich Asians. I was like, hmm, this, you know, this, this could be interesting. And it's one of these ones where it's like big businesses and big families vying for power, but it's really going all over the place. And it reminded me kind of the production value they put into Triumph in the, of the Skies, uh, back in the day where they're going and shooting a lot of time in Canada. Uh, they have some location shooting in Prague. And, of course, a bulk of the shooting is, is done in Hong Kong. But they're bouncing around time periods because the central nexus of the start of the story is set with 2008 and the financial crisis and the Lehman mini bonds thing, which was a big deal in Hong Kong. And so that kind of story tag was what really kind of drew me in because kind of having having lived through that and seeing the impact it had on Hong Kong I was interested to see how this would play out as a kind of plot narrative in a, in a TVB drama so uh, that is out there and unfortunately right now legally you can watch it on um, the, the TVB Encore app uh, which is the Cantonese version which has Chinese subtitles but no English subtitles. It's not available on the English app uh, yet. I'm guessing if it does well, it will be at some point, or there will be a DVD set with English subtitles at some point. Um, and, and I say this because there are perhaps non-legitimate versions out there that do have English subtitles that I'm not going to recommend you find, but they exist. So anyway, uh, that is out there, and it's something to watch, and it's actually not too terrible. All right. Well, I can I can I can talk about the the budget reason is because TVB for the last couple of years they started working with um, mainland Chinese companies. So like this one I think was on iQiyi or Youku, um, and that's because of that 
bigger audience. Um, they're able to uh, put in some more money on production, and actually, the show's already finished airing. I think in uh, at IHE mm, in China yes. because they're rolling them like five episodes a night because that's how they do it in China, um, and it's already finished airing there. But yeah, that would explain why TVB's poured a bit more money than usual um, into series these days because you know, just like films, the China money. Yep. Yes, indeed. And you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Story of Yanshi Palace, which I'm I'm assuming you've heard of, Kevin. I mean, because who's not yeah, heard of I that, mean, right? Of yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's probably the biggest uh, television drama to come out of China in, in a long time, um, making a lot of waves. My wife's already breezed through it once, and she's anxiously waiting for an English subtitled version to arrive so she can watch it again with me. I sat down and tried to watch the Cantonese version when they finally dropped the series on. Um, the TVB app, and I was like, "Nope, nope." <laughs> <laughs> Modern day Cantonese, okay, I can, I can, I can, I can, you know, deal with that. But when they get into sort of the the more old timey stuff, and I'm just lost. I'm just, it's, I'm sorry, my level's not that good. Um, and I said, "I'm gonna have to wait till they have the subtitled one, dear, and uh, then I'll happily sit through and experience this with you." Um, so yeah, that's out there. Story of Yanchi Palace. If you don't know what it is, but you follow drama, you know that's probably one you're going to want to check out before the end of the year. All right, I think that's enough of our small talk for this session. As always, let me throw it back over to Kevin with this week's news. All right, here at the Stormy News Desk. Uh, last episode or two episodes ago, we talked about. Um, Korea's uh, shoplifters being chosen as uh, Japan's representative at the Oscars uh, Best Foreign Film Race. Well, more films have been chosen as we're coming up on the deadline. I think uh, October 1st is the deadline for all the films to be submitted. So we're getting um, more news of what um, Asian countries are picking. Um for example, Mexico uh, have um, chosen Mexico is not a which is not an Asian country has chosen uh, Roma, the Alfonso Cuarón film, um, and a lot of, of course the usual can contender. Uh, South Korea um, is going to be sending Burning, uh, the film by uh, Lee Chan Dong, which is a heavy can um, critical favorite, even though it didn't win any award. But there's a lot of love for this movie out there, uh, as far as I know. And um, it could, uh, it's going to be a very interesting race. You have you have the Palm d'Or winner versus um, the, the 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 critical favorite in the same festival. So the two films are going up against each other uh, once again. Um, and then uh, Taiwan uh, just announced that they'll be sending the Great Buddha Plus, the Golden Horse winning um, satire or well, comedy, black and white comedy that I like a lot even though I find that it's choice of being the 2018 representatives a bit misleading because it did premiere at the 2017 Taipei Film Festival and won the Golden Horse Awards um, in in uh, 2017. I mean, it's all because it was released late in the year and then, you know, so it's eligible and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. It's all a bit of a loophole thing. But, you know, it's a strong contender, but... It's no Di Chandong or it's no Koreeda, so uh, I don't I don't think uh, it has a lot of a uh, good chances. My my building just started shaking, which is supposed to happen. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, uh, Singapore uh, has chosen um, a film called Buffalo Boys, um, which is not quite 
a uh, I guess a traditional Singaporean film um, because I think it's also a uh, Indonesian production as well. But uh, that's what Singapore is going with. It's a gangster film that um, premiered at the uh, Fantasia Film Festival in in uh, Canada. I'm stuttering a lot because you can hear the wind picking up. <laughs> but anyway. Um, and I also trying to look up other 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 uh, representatives um, that has been announced. But as far as I know, these other films, uh, Hong Kong and um, China have not announced their picks. Uh, I know Paul. I know you're gunning for Meow to represent Hong Kong, but um, I don't think that's going to happen. No. Um, what I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> it could be another Louis Koo movie. So you know, never know, never know. You know, keep up your keep up the hope. Um, and yeah, that's it. That's all I know so far. Hopefully, next time we talk, uh, we'll know the Hong Kong and China representatives. And I hope that China doesn't send another Wolf Warrior two. I mean, but who knows? Who knows what happened? Yeah, I you know it's for for those of you who are th- who are wondering about you know differences between places like Hong Kong and the U.S. Let me just tell you, if we had a strength, a storm of this strength rolling through Florida right now, there'd be no recording because there'd be no power. <laughs> I'd have no internet. Okay, I'd have nothing. You know, the infrastructure here would 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 not uh, be holding up like it holds. Uh, you know, so so kudos to Hong Kong infrastructure for uh, allowing us to continue our podcast during Super Typhoon Nankud. It's true. Hong Kong is one of the safest places to be caught in a typhoon, even though. Um, people are really scared about this one because, you know, usually Hong Kong has a geographical advantage where um, a storm usually passes through Taiwan and then weakens and then hits Hong Kong or uh, it passes through the Luzon in um, the Philippines and then it weakens and it comes to Hong Kong. Um, it's very rare that you get a storm that, that passes through between the strait between those two countries um, and then hit Hong Kong. If it passes through that strait, then Hong Kong's in trouble, but it's very, very rare that happens. And that's why the storm was so scary, because everyone was expecting, it was only kind of brushing, excuse me, brushing through the Luzon, and even after brushing through the Luzon, it's still one of the strongest typhoons to ever hit Hong Kong. Um, so, yes, this, you hear that? Yeah. Uh, so, no, but I think Hong Kong is still one of the best places to be in the world to be caught in a typhoon. Um, so that's why we're still on the air. Weather channels, Kevin Ma. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have that awesome flooding animation. I'm afraid uh, so somebody needs to, to win an award for that. I'm sorry. Come on, I mean <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. I have to say, he went CNN has got nothing on the weather yeah. channel. All right, all right. Back to back to the news. Um, we we're just talking about Singapore just now, um, and uh, a new film festival is being launched in Singapore. Um, it's by director Eric Koo. Uh, who is a very well-known art house director, uh, probably Singapore's premier art house director. Um, and he is uh, launching a festival called Scream Asia, which um, is exclusively, I guess, to horror and genre films. Um, it's been... Um, so selections are being made by Ku himself and Thomas Nam, who is a programmer uh, with... The a um, the Buchong uh, Buchong Fantastic Film Festival's market sidebar um, uh, the the NAF uh, which is the uh, I forget what it's called what NAF stands for but something about fantastic it's like a fantastic film network genre film project thing um, and by Sui Lim who is a um, who was a programmer of the Singapore Film Festival it's um, 
it will be running from the October 19th to the 28th, and it will be um, opening with the world premiere of a Singaporean horror film called Zombie Pura. Uh, I'm guessing that's a wordplay thing there. <laughs> and I'm also guessing it's about zombies. Uh, a full lineup hasn't been has been announced yet, but other films uh, include Overlord, the J.J. Abrams-produced uh, zombie film, uh, also Lost Run Trier's The House That Jack Built, um, and The Fake by a uh, by Korean director, Yong Sang-ho, who did Train to Busan. Um, the event is being backed by MM2, um, which is a Singaporean company that has been quite... Uh, expanding quite quickly. Uh, they just bought up the Cathay Cineplex uh, in Singapore. They also have operation in Malaysia, and also they're releasing, they're doing some distribution here in Hong Kong, um, and they're doing this little genre film festival, which I, I think it's quite interesting. Uh, and it will also, by the way, the festival will also be screening two episodes of a uh, anthology series um, that's being released on HBO Asia called Folklore. Um, which includes um, episodes directed by um, one directed by Ku himself. Ku is also the head of the project, by the way. Uh, and also includes um, Takumi Saito from Japan, who's an actor but turning director. Um, and a, one from Korea and one from Indonesia and one from Malaysia. And two episodes of that show will be showing there. And yeah, it's an interesting... Um, idea even though of course singapore is not known for exactly being a country very open to um genre films because they censor content and they don't allow anything that's too violent or too sexual on the screen so i wonder how if and how these films will be shown during the festival but is this something that you'd be interested in in paul i you know i i'm not a i'm not a big festival goer anymore and they do these kinds of things uh, more frequently now, sort of genre fests, uh, especially for horror films, and I, you know, I think it's great that they're doing it. But yeah, my my main question is, what's going to get cut? I mean, because usually w- with horror films, um, there are not too many films that are my kind of horror. And when I say that, if I were to describe the kind of films I like, I like things like, say, It Follows where it's not always about jump scares and it's not always about gore but it's it's you know the it, there's a com- there's a combination that works for me that I think is is very central to me but a lot of people I have friends who they love super gore right i mean they're all about like the old uh you know cannibal holocaust and and stuff like that and i got nothing against that stuff it's just not for me but that stuff kind of goes hand in hand with some of these festivals so i'm wondering you know are are a lot of films going to be excluded because of the you know i'm thinking of remember herman yao's film that was a uh i think it was a co-production with singapore um a few years back Um, the one second coming second coming was it yeah i think that's um yeah i think i think that's the one Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah and i mean that had a category three rating for a very graphic one really very graphic sequence that happens and I'm sure that couldn't get play in Singapore like that. I mean, that or had Malaysia, be, you know, that, that had to be cut. That had to be cut out for for that kind of play. And that's fine if it's just like a one like minor five second 
scene or something. But when you've got something where a bulk of the content is, you know, going for that kind of thing um, as the kind of genre horror for that subcategory, I guess, then what do you do? Do you just exclude it altogether rather than cut it up? Or do you cut it up to where it's like, why would you even want to watch it? Yeah, I mean, one of the choices is the house that Jack built, which is the Lars von Trier film, and it was quite notorious in Cannes, uh, you know, causing quite a bit of walkouts, and because of um, not only explicit violence, but because of violence against women in the film, because it's about a serial killer. So, yeah, I don't know how they're going to pull it off. I don't think those films will play uncut, and once people n realize that the film is pl not playing uncut, would they still show up for the festival? Um, but, you know, Zombie Pura does sound interesting. I mean, Singaporean zombie film? Bring it on. Yeah, I mean, uh, who, want, who doesn't want to see zombies walking through uh, any of the, you know, local Dai Dongs there, right? <laughs> All right, our final bit of news. Uh, John Cho's Searching, right? Yes. Uh, well, have you had a chance to, to see it yet? Paul? No, I really, I really do want to see it. I just have had no opportunity to get out to the cinema for it. Yeah, uh, the film, um, of course, John Cho is a Korean-American, and the film opened, I think, nearly day and date in Korea, possibly because of John Cho's, um, uh, I guess, fame in Korea as well. But the film has done very well in Korea. Um, it's already in the second weekend. The, the box office, um, the weekend box office gross went up by 62%, which never happens in Korea. And right now, as we're recording, the, the total box office gross in Korea has already surpassed North America's gross, which is even more rare if you think about it. Um, but the success, is it all because of John Cho? Not really. I mean, John Cho hasn't really had a huge hit in korea it's not like every john cho film does well in korea and even nibun hun film that plays you know american nibun hun film that you know plays in korea don't necessarily do well so i i doubt it's the idea of having john cho as the lead i think um i haven't seen the film yet i think i'm seeing it next week or in a week or two it's playing at the sundance hong kong program here um but i think it's just basically uh, partly on the strength of just being a good film the film has gotten great reviews and the idea about you know the digital based idea you know someone doing digital um uh, sleuthing uh, on the internet uh i think that's something that has a lot of uh resonance in korea korea is one of the most digital countries in the world one of the most plugged in countries in the world so this certainly has strong relevance there um and yeah i mean that's quite interesting i mean what happens if we if uh i mean yeah it's never been chow and fat has never had a movie that does better in hong kong than in america and actually if a chow and fat film does better a chow and fat american film ever does better in hong kong than in america then that movie's in real trouble because hong kong's not really capable of really huge box office gross but this also speaks to actually a lot of people don't realize the box office power of korea a lot of um you know, people talk about Japan as being the second biggest film market in the world, but mostly it's because the strength of the domestic film market. Um, Hollywood films, uh, a lot of Hollywood films you see, actually their second biggest market is Korea. Um, because Korean people really like going to the really like going to the movies. Um, I think the average number of movies they go surpass Japan and possibly even Hong Kong. They're one of the most film loving people uh in, in in asia 
Um, and so you see um, actually Hollywood studios being more more uh, dedicated to promoting in the Korean market these days. So Deadpool, uh, Ryan Reynolds went to Korea and did a whole thing, even went on a variety, two different variety shows. Um, Tom Cruise, uh, when they did Mission Impossible last month, they also went on Running Man. And it just shows sort of how um, uh, uh, Korea is becoming this bigger market, not just, I mean, think about it, domestic films. Korea still has a bigger uh, domestic film still has a bigger uh, market share than than foreign films on some years. So imagine this 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 country of what 50 million people just becoming one of Asia's biggest film markets um, is astounding to me. Yes, indeed. Um, so I, I'm definitely keen to see Searching as soon as possible. And uh, I think that'll be something that we'll probably cover here once Kevin sees it as well. All right, let's take a short musical break. When we come back, if Kevin's building hasn't blown down, <laughs> he's going to be talking about Big Brother. And welcome back. So our first review for this week, Donnie Yen in Big Brother. All right. Uh, I want to reiterate that apparently a building shaking in the Thai food is a good thing. Because apparently if you don't shake, then your building could collapse. So yeah. I'm just trying to comfort myself here before if I go it's into not, if the it's, review. If it's not shaking, it's breaking. <laughs> yeah. Because I live on the 25th floor, and that's quite high. And that's actually near the top of my building. So... The shaking's a bit more prevalent, but I like how we're just sprinkling weather reports <laughs> in the middle of the episode. <laughs> but anyway, all right. All right, now on to Donnie. Donnie, save me. Um, <laughs> so Big Brother is... Um, that's it, man, that's it, man 5. Donnie fights the typhoon. <laughs> <laughs> Only, only if the typhoon manifests into the body of a huge Caucasian yeah. action actor, <laughs> Poss- or 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 possibly Terry Crews. I don't know, or Mike Tyson. Who knows? Um, yeah, could you imagine Terry Crews is like the human typhoon. Yeah, perhaps he's like the human manku. Yeah, that's how powerful he is. Anywho, uh, Donnie. This is one of the I think three Donnie productions uh, this year. Uh, that depends on whether Inman 4 makes it out by this year. Um, uh, the other project he has, I think, is Fat Dragon, something crossing, chasing the Fat Dragon, which has him in a fat suit. Um, and that's also a Wanjing produced production, by the way. This is one of the two Wanjing productions uh, Donnie has this year. Um, and uh, this is directed by um, uh, Kam. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name here. This is a guy who also pre- uh, directed... Um, the Ikin Robot Girl movie. Kam Kawai, that's his name. Um, uh, and the story goes, um, Henry, played by Donnie Yen, returns to his alma mater to become a teacher. Despite facing budget cuts and resistance from his rebellious students, Henry uses unconventional teaching methods to tame all his students one by one. Just when everything seems to be working out for Henry, budget 
further budget cuts and a sinister plan by a real estate developer threatened to derail everything. Um, so when I first saw the trailer, I mean, yeah, okay, Donnie is an ass kicker, a unlikely teacher. You think maybe GTO, right? GTO is sort of uh, is a, is a very popular Japanese comic about this sort of um, gangster type character, this thug who becomes a teacher. I forgot how he does it, but anyway, somehow becomes a teacher and he um, wins over his students by becoming a total badass. Um, and that formula is not really new. Um, also recreated in Goksen, which is about a the heiress, I guess, uh, of a yakuza organization becoming a, a teacher uh and then tames her wins over her student by being a real badass um but it's not quite this because donnie here is the greatest teacher ever because anything less would be uncivilized um he you know wins he's a winsome nice guy who uh, he was also an american marine but uh, so he's also very good at kicking ass, but he just wins over his students by being a really nice guy who never loses temper and also does some ass kicking while he's at it. Um, so this is nice Donnie, uh, not mean Donnie. So anything anyone expecting Donnie GTO would be uh, a bit disappointed here. Um, but it's weird because even a Hong Kong story, this story is completely set in Hong Kong. Uh, and even then, it... it has the side of nationalist Donnie. So as you know, Donnie um, has, ever since, I guess, It Man, he's grown this sort of nationalist side of him. And I don't mean the nationalist party. I mean, you know, this whole patriotic Donnie has come out. Um, he did what Legend of the Fist, and there's also the It Man movies. And it's all about, you know, I think he's also renounced his American citizenship, but I can't be sure. But I think he tried to, or he's already done it. Um, and he's trying to, you know, become more patriotic and even that side shows up here which is really weird uh so his character moves to the states uh at one point and he joins the marines um and he fights in a very unspecified war and he says that you know he saw the the ugliest of wars so that's why he renounces his american citizenship and goes on a trek across the world well, at least that's what he calls it in his voiceover because then you see that all his trekking Oh, the only place he's traveling is China. It's like, is China the world? It's very weird. Um, it's somehow trekking across China made him a better person, which it's a really odd touch to the film. Um, it just feels like, do we need, do we need to see you renouncing your citizenship? Why is that even a big deal? Or why did you need to go on a trek across China to become inspired to become a teacher? It's just. A very odd choice and i'll get into it a little bit more at the end but um yeah the the appearance of nationalist donnie was a bit weird um and then the way he, he uses these these over-the-top ways to tame his students um at one point uh he stages this huge intervention uh that's fit for american reality tv so you know you can't say he's totally you know un-americanized um and then he does he has this huge fight in the locker room just to save his students from the the grips of a gangster um and then uh he does this really stupid go-kart sequence where he gets her his, his student um who um who's dealing with a father who doesn't like her because he favors the son more and somehow they resolve everything through a go-kart race yeah it, it doesn't make any more sense than when you watch it in the film so don't worry about it um those those 
you know, a pure fantasy. You know, I mean, the thing is, every every type of these teacher films, they do these type of things. I mean, GTO, Gox, and Larry put those together. Um, Dangerous Minds, I guess, this film feels more like that because you know, the teacher is actually decent, and and the way you know they use you know good positive values to overcome the students. Um, and that's that's how he does it here, but the ways are just pretty ridiculous yeah like i said you know never see michelle fight for using gold cart to win over her students right um the film does deal with some relevant social problems for example one character is a south asian uh so there's a whole marginalization of south asians in hong kong but not quite um there's alcoholism there's the whole gender favoritism thing in families there's also a whole um uh, discussion about the the flaws in the hong kong education system um, but the thing is, it's done through this really naive fashion. For example, the marginalization of South Asian thing is kind of skirted over because a lot of that also includes racism. But the film doesn't deal with why people are stereotypically, they have stereotypes about South Asians in the first place. Or why South Asians have to, for example, I think his father is a ticket scalper. Um, the concert ticket scalper, but it never goes into why is it ticket scalper, why these they turn to these sort of professions, or why they're marginalized society in the first place. Um, they just like, oh, here's a problem, and then Donnie's gonna come and solve it. Um, and and it's just done through this real naive um, approach to think that you know all these problems can be solved with some simple Donnie magic, you know, Donnie Donnie powder, you know. Sprinkle some Donnie magic powder. Um, so it's a bit, and it's done this. I guess um, I like to use a term which is RTHK style, which is um, RTHK, the radio television of Hong Kong. They have their own TV channel. They do these very much like after school special. Uh, uh, kind of like the below the line rocks stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. And they go, they do these. Um, they deal with social problems, but again, they deal on a very naive. Uh, uh, angle um, in um, for example there was a show about a whole series about like LGBT issues in Hong Kong and they do like a and it's really weird because they do like a 20 minute drama and then they do a 20 minute discussion session where you know people of both sides get to express their views and I'm like no anti anti LGBT views shouldn't be normalized what the hell um, but it's just done this through these really naive uh, approach thinking that you know that they don't really go into the root of the problem they show the problem and then somehow either it gets soft or it doesn't but here's the problem um and just touches the surface of it because rthk doesn't have the time or they don't have the people who who are qualified to deal with in a very um deep uh manner and that's what the film feels like um Anyway, don't expect the Donnie Ashton film, but there are three fairly well put together fight scenes. For example, there's that locker room scene I just talked about, and then there are two different fight scenes in the end sequence, and they're fairly well choreographed. I mean, Donnie's the action director, of course, and he's very serious about serious about that type of thing. But that's not what this film is. It's mostly great teacher Donnie. Um, so, so anyone who goes in expecting him to kick the asses of high schoolers, uh, that's not going to happen because he's there to teach them. Teach them well and lead the way. Yeah, just to take away a lyric. <laughs> teach them well and help them lead the way. Is that the lyric? I forget. Anyway, um, there is one effective tearjerker scene here. Um, it's one of those um, 
Donnie intervention scenes. Um, but you wish that it's put in a better movie because it's actually fairly well set up. And the acting is by Felix Locke, a uh, very famous character actor here. Um, the way he does it is actually very well done. And it's so kind of inspired idea that you wish that it was done in a better movie rather than done in this movie because it feels kind of wasted. And actually, I might have heard some sniffles when I was watching it too. Uh, that's how good it was. You got people crying at the Donnie movie. I mean, why? Really? What? <laughs> um, but Donnie is in super earnest here. Um, again, super nice guy Donnie as instantly likable because he's such a nice guy and, you know, he's the go-getter and he's here to, you know, to inspire so he's, he's a likable presence here um but the actors who play the students are also all right they're young and they're not there's no real one standout here uh they're all fairly solid um but joe chen the taiwanese actress who plays the uh second i guess the quote-unquote female lead she plays uh one of uh donnie's fellow teachers the one that i guess supports him but she barely gets anything to do here i'm not sure if it's because of post-production woes or post-production decisions or it's because the character was so thin to begin with um it just makes me wonder why they even bothered to cast a name actress for the role at all uh it was a bit weird choice. She doesn't do anything. She has that whole nerdy teacher thing going on. But but she's really like a supporting role to everyone else here. I mean, the students, I think, get more more to do than Joe Chan here. Um, so it was a bit of a weird choice. This is clearly Donnie trying to branch out a little bit more than just doing that whole action stuff. He's kind of doing the Jackie Chan thing where he's doing more dramatic role. Um and I think this better this works out a little bit better than when Jackie Chan tries to branch out because this is very unambitious. It's not like it's not like Donnie trying to do like a Gone with the Wind romance thing, the way that you know Jackie was kind of aiming for when he did the myth, um, or when he tries to do dramatic acting like in 1911 or something. Um, this is just him doing like a proper Wanjing comedy slash thing. I mean, is slash you know comedy you know, small-time commercial film thing. It's not a big deal. It's not meant to make 200 million or 300 million yuan in, in, in China, um, even though it is a co-production, by the way. Um, and, and you know, it's not a very difficult role. I mean, all I have to do is smile and be a real nice guy and then put in a couple of fights. So it works fairly well. Um, it's Donnie putting himself across as this socially responsible, likable chap, and it's really easy to buy into it because, you know, it's a positive personality. Um, it's just that I wish that the, the politics didn't really have to rear its ugly head. Um, I have a feeling that it, it's because that it's a co-production, so if they made Donnie this kick-ass American Marine, he therefore has to also show his patriotic Chinese side, and it feels like one of those additions that censorship authorities would add uh, to the film just to make it past Chinese censorship. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Of course, no one would ever admit this. Um, I'm not involved in the production of the film at all, so I'm just making guesses here. But its inclusion just felt like one of those things that like they had to add to get through censorship rather than something that organically blends into the story. Um so I wish that wasn't in the film. Otherwise, it would have been just, it would have been like a nice, 
low budget Donnie movie that you watch it and you instantly forget about it two weeks later, and it would have been the, one of those nice things. But no, you know, someone has to ruin it, and that's why you can't have nice things. And that's always the lesson at the end of every of these reviews. That's why you can't have nice things when you watch Hong Kong films. Um, yeah, otherwise I think Donnie fans will like it just fine. Unless they're 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 expecting another SPL or something, then they'll come away like, what the hell has happened to Donnie? Oh my god, why is he ruining his career this stuff? But the truth is, this is Donnie trying to build a better social uh, public image. And it's going to work out fine for him. I think audiences are going to like this just fine. The whole GTO thing has been done a couple times even in Hong Kong cinema proper right I'm thinking there was like I think Simon Yam did one back in the day and did I, he? yeah that? I, I, I think he, it was it wasn't you know it was basically he was a triad guy but he ended up in a classroom and then I think there was one with um, Francis M. Mm, although yeah. it wasn't yeah, yeah, that's one. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't he wasn't a trad guy he was like a mental patient or something and he accidentally ends up being a teacher and he turns out he's really good at it and then i, I want to say uh maybe nick chung had one too but i might be remembering that incorrectly but i mean it's definitely not something that's unheard of um for for these kind of films and i, I you know i'm interested to see it just for the fact of donnie doing something a little bit different so uh, I will like to see it once it comes my way. I would say this though, you know, don't dismiss the power of go karting because <laughs> that's what saved. That's how they resolved everything in Staycation. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think Jackie Chan should have done one of these films. If Jackie Chan had done one of these films, maybe he wouldn't be so. Um, whoa, okay. Maybe he would be so. Um, <laughs> maybe he maybe he had a better public image. I, I think this is like the key. For every action actor, do a great teacher, Donnie, or great teacher, or whatever, do a teaching film mm. to to enhance your public image, and it makes you wonder why Jackie never did one. Is it? I mean, what was the one that Miriam did a couple years ago? Um, that was did she based, do a teacher. Oh, um, based on a true little, story. Um, was it Little Big Something? No, I know which one you're talking yeah. about. Uh, little bit yeah, master was, or something she, like that. Little or? bit master, yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that one was pretty. It was good, but it was also, you know, pretty much pointing fingers at Hong Kong's education system. Is this film trying to do that at all, or is it simply just looking at, you know, the the, the GTO thing? You've got X number of problem kids here, and you, we've got to, you've got to sort out the issues with them. It's not the problem of the institutions per se. Um, it does a little bit. There's this whole one huge, um, actually discussion scene between, uh, whoa, between Donnie and, uh, the Donnie's character and the principal talking about the budget. And it's, uh, it's quite didactic, actually. Um, weirdly didactic. Um, and this is almost like, okay, we fulfilled a quota. We talked about the education system. Okay, let's move on to something else. But yeah, you can't ignore it. We talk about the Hong Kong education. Uh, I mean, Hong Kong education system is very flawed. Everyone knows that. Even Hong Kongers know that. And you don't do a film about a troubled school about, you know, pointing a few fingers at the education system. But is it really a sharp commentary or anything? Is it like Aaron Sorkin? No, I mean, don't expect Aaron to do Aaron. Uh, don't expect Donnie to do Aaron Sorkin. But yeah, it does touch on that issue a little bit. Yeah.
And welcome back. So our second film for this week, uh, West Screen by Design, I guess, but also East Screen Influence. This is the animated feature film Next Gen, which was released uh, just, I want to say, about a week and a half ago on Netflix, coming from director Kevin R. Adams and Joe Cassander. Um, you, You may not know who they are. They don't really have any directorial credits to their name as such. I think this is kind of their first feature they've directed. They do have credits working on films like Nine. Um, I think that um, uh, one of them has worked on animation work for films like Disney's Hercules, and the other has worked in kind of special effects film work for films like uh, some of the X-Men films, I want to say. So uh, though you can kind of see those two guys coming together and some of the talents that they bring um, with them and putting them into the director position. And, and what you end up getting is a pretty good result um, with this film here. This is a film produced by, if I forgive me if I say this incorrectly, but uh, Baozhou Manhua, which is a group in, in China that uh, is primarily known for doing sort of intranet shows, um, something called, that's kind of translated out as Rage Comics. These are kind of these internet meme comics. Oh, you still there, Kevin? <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, yeah. Still, if you hear rumble, it means I'm still here. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, these these sort of like internet meme comic strips that are popular on the internet, and I guess they've done uh, some some uh, videos as well. And there's a one of the character creations who's kind of a central figure in uh, Baozo or Baozo Manhua. Um, <clears throat> himself, if I can find uh, the name here, uh, Wang Nima, and you can look up that person's character and you can kind of see them, uh, some of the stuff they do on YouTube and whatnot. And they have a presence here in the film as a cameo as well, which is interesting. Um, but pretty much this is a straightforward science fiction kind of film set in a fictional world that is very much kind of like a future China or future Chinese city. The story follows rebellious Mai Su, who is pretty much angry at the world. She's angry at her mother, who dotes on technology, her peers who bully her, and the robots that make up her daily life. Uh, During a tech event to launch the next generation of Q-Bots, which are like these little home companions, basically think if your iPhone was kind of a three-foot-tall, cute robot that did everything for you, um, and you have a Q-Bot... so during this uh, tech event, Mai Su stum- accidentally stumbles into a research lab and discovers Project 77. This next generation robot imprints on her and follows her home. Mai Su realizes that with 77's military-grade technology, she can have some reckless fun. But this draws the attention of corporate head Justin Pin, who wants to have 77 destroyed for his own reasons. So... Uh, one thing you'll notice right off as you start to get into this, even if you watch the trailer, there are there are obvious parallels to Steve Jobs and Apple, uh, and that is by design. Uh, but that's okay. I think there's enough here that anti-Apple folks will get a kick out of the representations um, and sort of the evil corporate empire that is, is kind of projected here. Um, but you'll also have Apple fans recognizing some of the things that they know and love about, you know, their intellectual property, and they should be okay with it, too. Um, One of the things that may touch a sore spot, though, is that the idea of barely an upgrade is poked fun at here, too. 
And it's fitting that we just had the latest Apple keynote for the iPhone XS Max, which a lot of people are looking at and going, did they really upgrade anything? And they're wondering what Apple's doing. So it's it's I, maybe by design that this got released maybe a week before the keynote or not. I'm not sure, um, but it's interesting to say the least. Very strong voice ca- casting overall. You have... Uh, Let's see, people like John Krasinski, um, Charlene Yee, who's um, the voice of... No, sir. <laughs> Char- Charlene Yee, uh, <coughs> sorry. Charlene Yee, who's the voice of My Sue, um, and she's done a lot of voice work. Uh, she's um, She does voice work for shows, a lot of animated shows, Cartoon Network shows. Uh, Steven Universe is the one that comes to mind that I watch. Jason Sudeikis is here as... Uh, as um, uh, Mr. Pym uh, himself, uh, Justin Pym, the sort of head, the Steve Jobs kind of like head of the company, uh, Michael Pena, David Cross, and Constance Wu, who we just talked about in our last episode as well. She is the voice of My Sue's mother. Um, so a very strong casting, interesting setting. This land is called Grainland for whatever reason, um, but it is very much, it could be a futuristic Shanghai or a futuristic... Uh, Taiwan or, you know, other city, uh, maybe even a Hong Kong, although it's not quite as as mountainous and y- you don't really see too much water in, in and around it. So I'm thinking more of a landlocked city. Um, but lots of Chinese imagery uh, in the background, Chinese writing and some other cultural influences here that you don't often see in science fiction. So I think from that aspect, it's it's really interesting. It's really fun to watch. Um, it's nice to see something done as a science fiction like this that has this kind of aesthetic to it, and it's kind of free of political messages as much as it can be. The animation is very good. It's not quite Pixar, Disney, DreamWorks level currently, but it's not that far behind. I'd say it's on par with stuff from three or four years ago. And the um, animation overall, I think, is fairly adult-oriented. I watched this with my six-year-old, um, and she liked it. But there were moments where I was kind of like thinking, should I reach for the remote? And um, I'll say this. There's one clear human death slash murder in it, which was surprising. It's fast. It's quick. It's blink and you miss it, but it's still there. Um, is Kevin still there? Yes. <laughs> if you hear it, I'm still here. If well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the block gets blown away, and I just, you know, you're 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 kind of sucked up and blown off to uh, to uh, Oz or something, and you're you're still recording it. Your your desk is still no, there, no. Right? If you hear screams, <laughs> screams, then yeah, be very afraid. But if you hear yeah. whistling and no sound, means I'm still I'm just quietly terrified. Mm, okay. <laughs> so yeah, um, uh, my Sue's dog, who's voiced by uh, Michael Pena. Uh, he can be understood by 77, so that's why at a certain part, if you like watch the trailer, he might be barking, but at another part, he's actually speaking. Um, he swears at points and actually says the F word at a few points. It's bleeped, but it's kind of still there, and I was not really wanting to kind of explain what, what why, the, why the dog is suddenly saying F and then it's suddenly being bleeped. Um, violence is heavy, but it's robot on robot for the most part. Um, but it, there is a bully scene that happens. Um, and again, for a little one, you know, six, five or six, it, it might be too intense. Um, and, but I think for somebody a bit older, you know, the eight to 10 crowd, I think this is probably more suitable. Um, but again, you know, if you 
are there watching it with your kids and not just like turning it on and walking away. Um, and if they have questions, I think it, you know it, it's okay to watch with them. The um, the action sequences are top notch. The final fight sequence was really great. It touches on a lot of sci-fi homages, uh, particularly to Japanese stuff like Gundam. So there's some stuff to recognize in there. And that's interesting. There's a theme song where they have a music video up on U.S. Netflix currently by singer Dream Ami, who was once part of a girl band E-Girls. But that song does not actually appear in the vid in 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 the movie itself, and it wasn't listed as one of the songs on the movie credits. So, I'm it's kind of weird how it's there, but it's it's not there. Um, but you you do get the idea that they were kind of angling for a little bit of the sort of anime market as well, just because of some of the designs and action sequences. The, uh, as I mentioned, Wang Nima, uh, a personality out of Baozhou, does appear briefly as in a cameo, but I think most people in the U.S. are going to have no idea who that is. Um, so if you see this character and you're like, who's that, and you're not sure, you can kind of do a Google search and fall down a rabbit hole that way. There's a deeper story about memory and about letting go that's kind of at the core for both characters. My Sue, her anger issues, and where that kind of stems from, from her earlier childhood as well as 77 who has a problem where he has to keep deleting part of his memory each day to not overload his memory core um, which is part of a because he's part partly damaged Um, and so that has kind of an interesting back and forth between the two characters as they work through their arcs to the end of the story Um, but for a lot of the movie I found Maisu to not be very likable as a character because she's so angry and she's very bratty for a long portion of the movie um for myself i just was like this is not really a character you can really relate to this is not this is not a friendly movie at pers- as such you know it's it's not like uh wally <laughs> you know you, you might say so it's, it's a movie with some anger issues that it needs to work through um, the, the as such, the narrative I think really feels more geared to Asian youth audiences, uh, where aspects of violence and bullying, even by protagonists, are are more open and less restrained than, say, you would find in U.S. cartoons, where there's a very strong sense of political correctness still these days. So I think for a general audience in the states, they're going to find some of the portrayals here. And some of the plot devices is a little bit grating at times. It's not enough to ruin the movie. I think it's still a very good movie. Um, again, if you've got little ones, it's something you're going to want to watch with them and not just dump them in front of the TV. But if you do that, I think it'll still be very entertaining overall. But for adults, if you're like me, if you're somebody who sees nearly everything that's put out by Pixar, Disney, or DreamWorks, um, this is something you'll want to watch, and I think you'll enjoy it. And or if you're just interested in sci-fi stories, um, you know you don't always go to every animation, but you like sci-fi stuff. I think this is another one that you'll want to catch at some point. Um, Kevin, I talked with you a little bit about this before we started recording. Um, yep. And you haven't seen this, but uh, you know, is this something that? Because again, this is a weird kind of China Netflix co-production. Is this something you think that is going to be something we're going to see more of in the future? Well, no, What I think what Netflix is doing is because they can't get into Chinese market, 
but they know that there's an audience for this stuff out there. So they're going in and buying in, buying up a lot of content that usually wouldn't, because Chinese companies are not particularly good at selling their content overseas. Um, so, so especially TV series or things like this. So they're going in and and buying up content because they know that Chinese companies are keen on sending those overseas. And of course, they Netflix wants to um, is keen to get that diaspora audience. So, uh, for example, there's a new series on this week that's a uh, stars Cheng, uh, Alois Chan, Chan Kun and Nini. Um, which is a, apparently a bonus big budget things, and Netflix is now the worldwide distributor of that. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's, it's a co-production, or I wouldn't even say like it's Netflix trying to get into China. It's more like China trying to capitalize on uh, Netflix trying to capitalize on Chinese content or the mm. the potential globalization of Chinese content or the potential um, popularity of Chinese content overseas. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting. It's an interesting way to. It's an interesting strategy um, for them to be involved in the Chinese market without actually trying to get into it. Um, it it's it's an interesting production, but I don't know if I watched this because it just seems to scream big, cheaper Big Hero Six to me all the whole time. Um, of course, it might not be. The, it might not be it. But um, maybe one day I'll take a look. But uh, yeah, it just seems a uh, a bit weird. Yeah. Listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snowser Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. So if you'd like to be part of the show, please do get in touch with us via our website at concast.com. You can find us at Twitter, twitter.com slash concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at eastswests. As always, please do follow along with Kevin, whether he's in a typhoon or elsewhere. So, sir, where can they find out more about you? Um, you can possibly find me on the news tomorrow. I don't know <laughs> if this typhoon keeps going. No, seriously, uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. Um, even I have been doing typhoon. Well, I haven't been doing like full hardcore typhoon updates, but a little bit when it gets really scary, I probably start going on Twitter and going, I'm terrified. Um, and I'm also uh, on uh, Cathay Pacific and Cathay Dragon Flights um, as the entertainment editor of the magazines uh, Discovery and Silk Road. Um, I, again, not even going to remember what I wrote this month, so I'm not even going to try, but you can read my entertainment articles on there, and there are quite a few, and they are done pretty well. Um, and if you do fly Cathay Pacific, if Cathay Pacific survives this typhoon, um, you can read the magazines uh, on board. Um, you can also uh, read Asia Asia and Cinema, which will be coming back on a limited return engagement because we're, we just signed up to be the media partner of... Um, Poland's uh, Five Flavors uh, Film Festival. Um, so we're going to do, we're going to be doing some new stuff for them. Uh, perhaps look at the program. 
Um, and it's going to return for a very short time, if I can make any time for it. And that is at www.asiaincinema. That's one word, asiaincinema.com. Uh, yeah, that's it for now. All right. And please do check out our friends over at the podcast on Fire Network and all the good work that they do as well. Our next show, episode 266, uh, I think Kevin is going to be telling us about Tony Lung in Europe Raiders, right? Oh, I am? Oh, my God. I think. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm on track to uh, talk about the new uh, My Hero Academia film, Two Heroes, which is actually getting a one-night release at a theater near me. Just one night. One ticket. I had to go online, and at least I got to pick a seat, so I know where I'm sitting. Um, oh, I thought you um because I, I just forgot that you were like a huge uh, fan of this anime. The the new um the third Godzilla animated film is going to be closing the Tokyo Film Festival, so that's uh that's already completed. Oh, is it? Yes. Um, yeah. Well, we're, even if you don't like it, yeah, it's, hate it. it's, uh, it's going to be hard to <laughs> hard to sit down for that one. But I will watch it, and I will 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 report back uh, when that comes our way. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, stay dry, don't get blown away, Kevin, be safe, and we'll see you next time. Save me, Donnie. See you guys next time. (laughs) 